and reading from John chapter 5, starting at verse 31. Jesus is continuing to challenge the Jews in Jerusalem. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does the word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Friends, let me pray for us before we begin to reflect on this uh, incredible part of God's word. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we come before you as people who uh, are to different degrees conscious of our own brokenness, our own sin, uh, the things that um, distract us. Father, we pray in your mercy that you might show us Christ this morning for each and every one of us. Lord, Move within us by your spirit to soften our hearts to you. To receive the life that you freely give. And to come to you in repentance and faith, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Well, you uh, might not have known it, but I learned this week that if you want to meet Jesus, you just need to head up to a property outside of Kingaroy in Queensland. Uh, You might have heard of this guy. There's a guy up there who claims to be Jesus reincarnated. 
He lives with the reincarnated Mary Magdalene, apparently. Uh, and he's managed to convince a bunch of people that what he's saying is true. Uh, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. Uh, but the Jesus of Kingaroy, uh, he's not the only person who's, who has made such massive claims throughout history. Uh, he joins a whole line of people who have claimed great claims about themselves, uh, who have claimed to be the Son of God, the Messiah. I'm even told um, that there's a documented syndrome. It's called the Jerusalem Syndrome, uh, and that it happens fairly regularly. I, I'm, I'm led to believe that uh, people who visit Jerusalem get so caught up in the religious atmosphere that for about a week they are convinced that they are the Son of God. And this happens... It usually lasts about a week and then they go home and sort of have a cold shower and, and wake up to themselves and move, leave the whole experience behind them. Um, but it, in a world of messianic pretenders, so pretenders to be the Messiah, people who claim great things about themselves, how can you know the real thing? How could you possibly know the real thing? Simply to claim it isn't enough, right? To claim great things about yourself. Simply to that, it's, it's not enough. Anyone can do that. Uh, if you're on trial for claiming to be the Son of God, what kind of witnesses would you call? Um, what testimony could they give that could possibly back up your massive claim? Uh, if, you weren't, well, if, you, if you went with us last week, um, we saw Jesus making, we saw these incredible claims that Jesus makes. And uh, if you weren't here and you want to follow that up, it's just the passage above what we read in your Bibles. Uh, Jesus has just performed this incredible, miraculous healing. Uh, he's healed this lame man who's been lame for 38 years. And it's a stunning thing, uh, but if it wasn't stunning enough, things heat up more as he goes on. It just keeps getting um, hotter and hotter. Uh, he gets into this conflict with the religious leaders of his day who learn about what he's done. Uh, and they can, these guys can see the massive claim that Jesus is making. They go from just kind of not liking him to trying to kill him uh, because they understand the massive claim Jesus is making about himself. Uh, in verse 18 of chapter 5, they can see that, God, that Jesus is claiming nothing less than equality with God. He's claiming to be equal. He is the unique, eternal Son of the Father. He reveals God perfectly to the world. He has the power, this is what he said about himself last week, he has the power to give life, he has the power to judge all people. But the question is, why should we believe what Jesus claims about himself? And that's the kind of question that Jesus addresses in this, uh, this last part of chapter 5 of John. The whole section, kind of, it kind of has a bit of a law court feeling about it. Um, Jesus brings out these witnesses that testify to his claims. We love a good legal drama, right? Um, from Law and Order to Perry Mason, anyone an old Perry? You know, I love the Perry Mason movies, uh, uh, TV shows. There's something about us that just loves the courtroom scene, right? Uh, and at the centre of most trials is the testimony of the witnesses. The witnesses get called up, and the more credible the witness, the better. Uh, and what Jesus does here is he goes to the ultimate witness, the ultimate witness to who he is. And what he's on about. Uh, and did you notice there in verse 31, as we read it, he says that this ultimate witness to who he is is not 
himself. Um, verse 31, Jesus says, he continues on this kind of back and forward sort of um, with the Jewish leaders that he's in. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Um, Jesus is saying he's not just another guy making big claims. Anyone can claim something, right? Anyone can say that they're the son of God. But why, why believe them? And in the background here is probably the legal practice that you had to have other witnesses to back up your claims. You got that in the Jewish Old Testament, in the Scriptures. Um, uh, places like Deuteronomy 19, if you're a note taker and want to look that up. Uh, this, this idea that you had to have more than one witness um, to back up your claim. So Jesus says, look, I'm not just someone coming and saying incredible things about myself. Uh, he says in verse 32, there's another witness. There is another who testifies in my favour and I know that his testimony about me is true. Well, who is this other witness? Um, this, the, what, who is Jesus talking about? One person that would have immediately sprung to mind for the uh, people that Jesus is talking to would have sort of come first up in their mind was, uh, uh, we've already heard about him in John's Gospel. Um, it was a different John. There's two Johns going on here. John, the writer of this Gospel, and then this character within the Gospel is person John the Baptist. And the John the Baptist would have immediately kind of sprung to mind for these people that Jesus is talking about. John was like a superstar. Like he, he made big... He, made big, he was a big deal and everyone knew it. He gathered all these big crowds around him. Uh, and people who, the people Jesus is talking to, they had gone out to see John. They'd gone out to listen to him, to see him. Uh, John preached this message about God's kingdom coming, God's kingdom being set up and coming. He, he, he preached a message of, of repentance uh, and, and waiting for the kingdom of God. He was so significant that we learned earlier in John that people thought he might be the Messiah, the, the coming one that they were waiting for, who would bring in God's kingdom. Uh, but he says no. Uh, he was just a, a voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for this one. Back in chapter 1, he says, he sees Jesus. He has this moment in chapter 1. He sees Jesus and he says, I have seen and testify, I witness, that this is God's chosen one. And so here in chapter 5, in, uh, in verse 33 there, you can see Jesus says, you have sent to John, like they've gone out and seen this guy, and he has testified to the truth. What he says is true. And then down in verse 35, John John was a lamp. He was like this bright light that burned and the Jewish leaders Jesus is talking to, they enjoyed his light for a while. Everyone knew him and they could tell that something different was going on about this guy. But do you see what he says back in 34? Just jump back a verse. Uh, he's not mentioning John because he kind of wants to ride on his coattails. Right? So you've got this... This big deal, John the Baptist, who's made all these waves. He's not talking about John because Jesus is kind of anxiously trying to prove himself by attaching himself to this other guy. Um, he talks about John not for his own sake, but did you notice there, for their sake, for the people he's talking with, so that they might be saved. Uh, John 
pointed to Jesus. Um, John said back in chapter 3 about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Uh, If they would just listen to John's testimony, they would follow where he pointed and they would go to Jesus and they would be saved. But But Jesus kind of comes back to this question about who witnesses to Jesus, who gives testimony to kind of back up this claim. And even the great John the Baptist, Jesus says, isn't enough. No human could ever be, actually. If Jesus really is the eternal, one and only Son of God the Father, then the only suitable witness to him is the Father himself. Uh, It couldn't be any other way. No other witness could do. It's the Father who is behind all these other witnesses in this passage. It's, It's as if there's all these arrows pointing to Jesus and God the Father is directing them down to him. And Jesus brings out the two, two big ones, two big arrows that the Father is pointing at him to say, this is my son, uh, to point at Jesus at his works. Uh, and the two big ones that Jesus goes on to talk about are his, his works and his word. His works and his word. Verse 36, Jesus goes on, I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the father has given me to finish the very works that i am doing testify that the father has sent me Uh, you want proof of who i am jesus says look at my works look at the things i'm doing they they, they testify, we've already, if you've been with us through John's Gospel, you know, a big thing about John is this idea of signs. These things that Jesus does are like signposts pointing to who he is. They testify about him. Uh, they testify about him because their works, the works that Jesus does, are the works that only God can do. They're the works that the Father has given him to finish. See, I could tell you, I could, I could tell you that I'm a brilliant artist, okay? So just imagine that. I could uh, get dressed up. I don't know what artists look like. I'm, I'm really sorry to the artists, the genuine artists out there. I'm going to offend you with massive stereotyping. Um, I put on my beret. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I might set myself up with an easel uh, and kind of present myself as a great artist, Right? Um, the, there's, <laughs> there's only one thing you'd need to know to, to, to know that my massive claim about myself was totally bogus. You'd actually have to ask me to draw something, right? And you'd see this malformed stick figure. Uh, and you'd, you'd know that there's a huge gap between my claim and my works, right? My works do not testify to my claim. Um, there is no gap between Jesus' claims and his works. He claims to be God-made flesh, the eternal, life-giving Son of the Father, and the life he lives perfectly lined up with that claim. He didn't just say things that God would say, he did things that only God could do. We've seen one of them, we mentioned it before, this incredible uh, and John says this is just one of you know, 
zillions of things Jesus did that he could have put in his gospel. Just one of them. Uh, This incredible miraculous healing of this man who's been crippled for 38 years, legs completely atrophied, no hope of ever recovering, and in one instant, simply at the word of Jesus, this man is remade. Uh, You just need to keep reading the Gospels to see this playing out over and over again. And ultimately, where all the Gospels lead you to, to his own resurrection from the dead. The great public work, that great work is his ultimate demonstration that Jesus is who he claims to be. The judge, the son, the one who gives eternal life to his people. Jesus' works are his father's works. Uh, They are like the father's big arrows pointing at his son, saying, here he is, here he is. But it's not just his works that speak of who he is. As we go on, we'll see it's, it's the father's word, the father's word that testifies to Jesus. Verse 37 Uh, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me. To have life. God the Father has given his own concrete, verbal witness to his Son. He did it in places, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus, you might know the story of Jesus' baptism, where there's this actual, audible, public voice as Jesus is baptized. The Father um, declares on him that he is his beloved Son. Listen to him. God does it in that kind of public way. But what Jesus is getting at here is to show us that, that God has done it supremely and perfectly and fully in the Scriptures, in the Word of the Scriptures. The Bible is God's Word about His Son. It is His ultimate witness declaring to the world who Jesus is. And what he came to do. Um, Jesus is he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures here um, because the witness of the apostles that we have in our New Testament hadn't been written down yet. But do you notice how he talks about it in general? He's not just saying that there are a few, this is sometimes how we can think about this in the Old Testament, there are a few uh, purple passages through the Old Testament that particularly kind of speak of who Jesus is. That's not what Jesus is getting at. He's saying actually something much more complete, much bigger. It's not just that there are a few things that speak of him. The whole lot, (laughs) the whole thing speaks of him. The whole, he is the focal point, the climax, the the everything of the whole story of the Bible. The Bible all leads up to him in the Old Testament and it all flows out of him. In the New Testament, 
And the tragedy was that the people Jesus is talking to didn't see that. They were, had their magnifying glasses up, that they didn't see it. It wasn't that they didn't know their Bibles. They did their quiet times morning, noon and night. They dil- diligently studied the Scriptures, but they did it for the wrong reason. They were looking for the wrong thing. And there was a famous first century rabbi who taught uh, that, this is a quote, if a man has gained for himself words of the law, he has gained for himself life in the world to come. If a man has gained for himself the words of the law, he has gained for himself life in the world to come. Jesus says these guys searched the scriptures because they thought that by doing that, they would gain for themselves eternal life. Uh, But they were blinded by their pride. They thought that the Bible was primarily about what they needed to do to earn their place with God. They didn't see the futility of that and the reality that we can never gain for ourselves the life of the world to come. The truth that was, it was actually there all along. Uh, The truth was that the Bible is about God and what he has done for us, what we can't do for ourselves. Their problem, you see, this is, I think this is really striking, actually. Their problem wasn't that they didn't have enough information. Um, it wasn't that they didn't know enough. Their problem was their heart. It was a much deeper problem. They knew the scriptures inside and out. Uh, But did you see what Jesus says? God's word was not in them. God's word was not in them. They weren't just kind of poor readers. It's not like they... They weren't poor readers. They were resistant readers in their pride, in their desire to earn their place, in their blindness to their own sin. They refused to come to Jesus, the one who the whole thing was about, and to receive his free gift of life. Well, Jesus goes right to the heart, doesn't he? He kind of, uh, he kind of peels back the layers and exposes what's right at the core, what's really going on for them. And it's not lack... It's, it, it, they're kind of asking, you know, they're... they're, they're they want evidence from him for who he is. He, he says, look, that's really not at the core of what's going on for you. It's not lack of evidence. It's all there, actually, in the Bible. This incredibly, incredible, unified, true story of God's work through history that so breathtakingly and perfectly leads to Jesus. Um, Jesus says, that for you the evidence isn't the issue it's your heart Um, it's the same for us today isn't it God God has given ample witness to his son it's right it's right here actually it's right there he's given ample witness to his son what will stop you from seeing it is a heart that refuses to come to him to receive life 
Well, Jesus keeps pressing into this issue, and do you notice how he turns the tables in verse 41? Uh, they thought they were kind of interrogating him, right? So he's just done this thing, the leaders come to him and they're kind of at him. Um, they, they're trying to persecute him, to, they, they want to kill him. Um, and so Jesus does talk about you know, this, this, the witness that um, he has in, from the Father. But you notice the table turns, verse 41, the accusers become the accused. Um, I do not accept glory from human beings, Jesus says, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes only from God, from the only God? They, Jesus says they don't have the love of God in their hearts. And the tragic irony is, you see, it's kind of, they'll follow just about anyone who makes big claims about themselves. Uh, in, you get that in verse 43. They're happy, to receive, they're happy to receive praise and glory from other people. They'll jump on any old bandwagon except the one that the Father has given that leads to Jesus. And he kind of finishes them off from verse 45, this last little section. He does this in a way that would have really enraged them. He takes their greatest prophet, um, the one who gave God's good law, Moses, and he says, he says to them, you think you've got Moses on your side. Think again. He's actually on my team, Jesus says. He, he was writing about me. He was... The whole story of the Old Testament was pointing to, to Jesus. He, Jesus knew that. And if you say you follow Moses but don't recognize me as the goal of all that he said, the one who brings fulfillment to all of God's plans and purposes in the world, then you don't really follow Moses, no matter how diligently you study him. Um, and then in verse 45, this one on whom your hopes are set. They've, they've got all their hopes set on this, but this sort of tragic kind of reversal. He'll be the one who gets up and points his finger at you, Jesus says to these guys, and accuses you for not recognizing who Jesus is. Well, the trial scene is finished. <laughs> okay, the trial's over at, the, at this point. Uh, and... It's kind of ended in a really unexpected way. Well, the witnesses have come, they've been heard, we've heard from them. But by the end of the trial, these accusers have got Jesus in the dock, they kind of switch places and now they're in the dock. They're being accused and Jesus himself has become the judge. But it's a sort of trial that uh, this, this scene in John's Gospel that we can't keep at a distance and we shouldn't keep it at a distance. Um, we should see ourselves, in a way, as on trial too. This passage opens up our own hearts. Um, perhaps you're not a Christian with us today. I'm so glad you're here. We love having you. Um, it may be that you know that you don't recognize Jesus for who he is, uh, who he says he is. 
Uh, you do need to check the evidence. And this, and uh, Jesus doesn't say that that's insignificant. You do. It's, you need to look into the claims of Jesus, and we would love to help you with that. As a, you can just let me know that on a blue slip. Uh, let me know that you'd like to investigate these claims of Jesus. You want to go deeper into the in, into the evidence and investigate that. But what Jesus wants to kind of press into us today is there's more going on than just a cold intellectual investigation. Um, Because he knows that that's not really what drives us, actually. What drives us really is our heart. Uh, And if your heart is proud and refuses to recognise your need, no matter how much evidence you're faced with, you won't come to Jesus to have life. This passage, it, it is actually a bit of a warning for us. Uh, a warning about the consequences of a, of a proud heart. Uh, but it also speaks, well it speaks to all of us in, in, I think in a significant way. It speaks to church people too, doesn't it? Um, it's a sobering reality that you can perform all the external things. You can know everything there is to know about different things, but have a heart that is estranged from God. Uh, Like these religious leaders, it's possible to see our religious practice as a way of earning our standing with God or impressing the people around us rather than the natural overflow of the incredible love of God that has already been poured into your heart through the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, we have God's testimony of his son. We have this wonderful, living, active word that cuts deeply into us and exposes us and gives us life. We have his testimony that leads us ultimately to the cross of Jesus, where Jesus takes all of our sin on himself and wins us eternal life with him. We have the apostles' testimony to Jesus in the New Testament that we're reading through now. We have this sure witness and Jesus invites everyone to come to him to have life. So let's pray, shall we, that we might do that today. Let's pray. Lord, we we pray for hearts that are that are soft to receive your word. Keep us from this kind of pride that the religious leaders had. We ask, Father, that um, we might see this testimony, this incredible testimony, this written word of yours, uh, written over so many years and yet telling this one thrilling, incredible account of your great salvation that also miraculously, marvelously centers itself and finds its fulfillment and fullness in Jesus. So, Father, we pray that we might see this testimony and believe it. Lord, we thank you for Jesus' offer that those who come to him will receive life, real life here and now and the certain hope of eternal life in your coming kingdom where there will be no more mourning or crying or sadness or pain or where you will make everything new. 
Lord, give us, give us a desire for that to come to you, we pray. And we pray for all of us that every day might be a day when we do that and we live in the overflow of your great love for us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.